And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who really wants to go see a stripper. Hi, folks, and welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, oh boy, is it ever beautiful here on Milleronia today. It's always gorgeous. Yes, I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. I control the weather. I plan the weather, and I control it. And that's, frankly... Why we have great weather all the time. It sure is today. Boy, oh boy. And, uh, oh, there's so much to tell you. And as always, the music makes me feel good and the colonel feels good. That's the Sebastian Dinwiddie Orchestra and the Jane Frizzee Dancers, featuring boy tenor Brad Simpson asking the musical question, At colleges on Milleronia, When a fraternity man wants to make a serious romantic commitment to a sorority girl, does he lavalier her? Good one, Brad. Very clever. And that's who we have listening, folks. But it's it's the truth. That's a good. That is a good one. And yes, they do. Yes, they do that. And uh, what that also means is a, a lavalier, in addition to being a microphone that gets clipped onto the lapel or the shirt of the wearer. A lavalier is a necklace. It's called a lavalier necklace. And it's, well, it's given by a fraternity man who really wants to show his commitment to a sorority girl. And it has a fraternity emblem on it, the fraternity of the fella. And he gives that to her, and that's uh, a college version. That's, I guess, a step or two before getting someone an engagement ring. But uh, so, yes, they do. And on Milleronia, yes, they do that. And uh, here on Milleronia, and our version has something added to it. He, in addition to the lavalier necklace, he drops a Volkswagen-sized hunk of lava on her lawn and well that in case she's puzzled or in case she's unclear about his intentions i i I think that clears it up i think it in fact you have to be kind of a lunkhead not to get that point and uh and the lava by the way is not well it's still hot it's not lava hot where it just well burns the whole block instantly but It's uh, pretty hot, so you shouldn't go, well, lay down on it like uh, you're going to sun yourself. But um, so you know what, though? Good question, Brad. Uh, Fraternity man wants to make. And by the way, I didn't know what that meant. And uh, Colonel Jeff didn't know what that meant. And I'm, by the way, we know a bit about fraternities. I was in a fraternity at school, and we, uh, we had serious romantic commitments to uh, the young women in the area. Uh, there were no sororities that I can remember, but of course there were no, uh, I was the last all-male class to graduate from there. And uh, at any rate, though, there were other schools around, 
and we had uh, romantic commitments. I didn't know what that meant exactly. I was a little, I was a little behind the times, and uh, not now, of course, when I know kind of everything, uh, especially on my own island. And so, does he lavalier her? Yes, Brad. They do. Good question, though. And before I move on, I just want to say Sebastian Dinwiddie and Jane Frizee are two good names and worthy names, and I'll explain where I got those later. And by PayPal. That's right, PayPal. Folks, PayPal is a great group. I like them very much. If you enjoy my show, and why wouldn't you? And you'd like to send us a few bucks to help out. And why wouldn't you? You can do it through PayPal. And uh, my way and Colonel Jeff's way as well as instead of saying things like, well, donate this or pay what you like or join the Platinum Committee. I always like to say, buy us some drinks because there are different levels, level one through five, all the way up to... We're driving to Florida! That guy screaming yes had just uh, has just uh, lavaliered his girlfriend, so to speak. <laughs> it's just a figure of speech. But uh, you know what, folks? PayPal is a great group. Look for their banner on our website. You can get to them in a thousand different ways. But you know what? Go to our website, and we have a banner that says PayPal on it. And, uh, of course, our website is LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. Boy, that was great. There's still nothing like baseball. I don't know how you feel, folks, but sure, a lot of great sports. But you know what? Baseball is there's a reason baseball is our national pastime. So I, I like that very much. And thank you in advance because, you know, here, every little bit helps us keep the old leg lamp lit. And thank you to everyone who has contributed already and everyone who is about to because of that terrific baseball sound. So uh, thanks very much, folks. And that brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. I love this very much. Why not? Why? And I hope you like it too. That uh, to pass along a good joke is really a—it's a real blessing. It's a very nice gift to give. I'm glad to give it to you guys. And I always like to say, and it's the truth: if you like it, pass it on yourselves to your family, to your friends, to your loved ones. And uh, nothing better than keeping a good joke going. And uh, the Colonel and I both thought this was pretty good. And I hope you do too. That uh, there's a guy who's uh, working uh, late in the office, and he's in a bit of a fix. He's married, of course, and, uh, well, his secretary is very lovely, very pretty, and he's, well, he's got kind of a crush on her. And one night he just gives in and he just says, uh, you know what, he asks her out to dinner, and she says, oh, yes, thank you, and I'd love to, and they go out to dinner, and he makes a call home first and just tells his wife, uh, well, uh, listen, I'm uh, going to be working late tonight. And she says, oh, okay. And he says, all right, I'll see you later. Bye, bye. 
And uh, then he and his secretary go out to dinner. And they have a very nice dinner together and a couple of cocktails. And they have fun together. They're really enjoying each other. And she invites him up to her apartment after dinner for a drink. Well, sure enough, they get up to her apartment and they kind of jump right into bed. And they know what they want. They both want the same thing. And they both achieve the same thing, so to speak. But I'm telling you, it was terrific. And he, and he, you know, just gives her a hug and a kiss. And, uh, well, of course, puts his stuff on and heads home. And he does. And as he's driving home, he's whistling a happy tune. But then he glances up into the rearview mirror and he sees on his neck, oh, no, it's a big hickey. It's a big, big one on the right side of his neck. And he, oh, no, what am I going to do now? This is, this is terrible. This could ruin everything. What am I, what am I going to do? And he, and he kind of walks around the house and tiptoes in. Oh, what do I do? And his doggy comes running up to him. He's got a great dog and the doggy gives him a big jump up, hug, hello. And, uh, he, he loves the dog and the dog loves him. And they, he gets on the floor and he rubs the dog and he, and he, well, just hugs him. And, uh, they start rolling around together and the dog hugs him and he hugs the dog. And it's really nice. And he gets an idea and, uh, he goes in to the bedroom and says, uh, so oh, honey, hi, listen. Oh my God. Look what the dog did to my neck. And his wife says, yeah, he did that to my boobs. <laughs> that's a pretty good one and you know as usual the, the wife was a step ahead of him i guess and <laughs> she should be but that's pretty good that he he does this and he does that and and he gets a quick idea and he can blame it on the dog and she's right there with him so anyway i hope you liked one that one if you do Pass it along, because uh, that always means a lot to us. And that brings me to my second favorite part of the show, The Poetry Corner. I love that. That's a great string quartet. Uh, this is a, a very good poem by the great Ella Wheeler Wilcox. And uh, I said to the colonel, we've read her things before here. And I said to Colonel Jeff beforehand, uh, yes, and she's got that great name where you could only be a poet anyway. When you have a name like that, Ella Wheeler Wilcox, you kind of have to be a poet. You know what I mean? You can't knit sweaters with that name. But she is, she's a great poet, and she's, this is also from, you'll see, this sounds like the 19th century and the very early 20th century. It's called Sounds from the Baseball Field by Ella Wheeler Wilcox. Batter in the home place, that was nobly done. Try and get the first base. Run, run, run. Ah, there, shortstop, will you miss? Hear the people cheer and hiss. Hear them yell and shout, twinkling legs and flying feet. Oh, I wonder who will beat faster, faster, out. 
Umpire, umpire, go along. That was wrong, sir. That was wrong. Pitcher pitches four balls. Take your base, my man. Toward the second now he crawls. Steal it if you can. Oh, the ball has gone so high. Can they catch it on the fly? Ah, there is no doubt he will get his third. I vow. Pshaw! The ball has got there now. Two men out. Umpire, umpire, that was wrong. Go along, sir. Go along. One man on the first base, not a single run. Boys are warming to the race. Now look out for fun. Pitcher's arm maybe is tired. Batter sudden seems inspired. Grounds the ball to win. Run there, run there, run your best. I am screaming with the rest. Two men in. Umpire, umpire, go away. Dead wrong, dead wrong, sir, I say. What's the matter now, pray, taking breath, that's all. But the restless people say, play ball, play ball. One ball, two strikes, two balls, foul. Umpire calls and people howl. What is he about? Run, 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 run. Half the inning now is done. Three men out. Umpire, umpire, go along. You are always, always wrong. Now, isn't that terrific? That's just fun. And as the colonel and I were saying to each other also, it not only sounds like, well, baseball from 1890 or 1902, but it sounds like some of the specifics are the same. Well, they're yelling at the umpire, umpire, you know. And, uh, oh boy, Ella Wheeler Wilcox really evoked an image from an era. And it sounded great. And try to get to the first base. Run, run, run. And there's a shortstop. Will you miss? Hear the people cheer and hiss. And, you know, boy, oh boy, they were, you know, tough folks. They all went in whatever town it was to see the ball game, go to see the baseball game. And it wasn't, well, it wasn't at Yankee Stadium. There weren't 55,000 people there. But there are a lot of them, and they, well, they wanted their team to win. And they wanted the umpire to call it right, which means, of course, they wanted to call it him to call it for them. But it really sounds wonderful. She made it she made it so real. Thank you, Ella. And thanks for the nice feel. I couldn't help but rhyme something there myself. And uh well, sounds from the baseball field. And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. The Magic Movie Moment. Ah, that great piano hit. Uh, folks, this is a terrific movie. And uh, a couple of few years ago, I mentioned it uh, here as well in passing, but I... Boy, I'll tell you, I woke up thinking of it today, and I bounced it off the colonel when when he got over to the studio here on Milleronia, and uh, boy, oh boy, it's a good one. It's called The Naughty 90s. It's from 1945, and it stars Bud Abbott and Lou Costello, and what a great rest of the cast. It's, well, first of all, directed by Gene Yarborough, who directed... 
and produced a lot of their TV shows later on. Gene Yarbrough was really one of their wow, one of their close friends and partners, and he did a great job. And well, starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello, Henry Travers, Alan Curtis, Lee Bowman, and the great Jane Frazee. And I mentioned her before, too. And I mentioned Sebastian Dinwiddie before, and that's Lou Costello's character's name in this movie, The Naughty 90s. And uh, Bud's name is Dexter Broadhurst, which I was saying before where the colonel and I were talking about it, their movie names always reflect just perfectly the characters they play, and uh, both on and off stage, but it, they just sound about right that, uh, well, that Bud's name is uh, Dexter Broadhurst, and Lou's is Sebastian Dinwiddie. It feels right for them. It's a terrific movie, folks. It takes place on a Mississippi River showboat. It takes place on a Mississippi River showboat. And the showboat, named the River Queen, is run by a very good man. Henry Travers plays him. And uh, he's called, uh, well, Captain Sam, good Captain Sam. And his daughter, played by Jane Frazee, is a very good daughter, too. And... uh, he goes off one night when they're at dock in a city in uh, near St. Louis, and he gets into, and they warn him, by the way, his daughter and Bud and Lou and the other folks on the boat, listen, don't go into one of these places that has gambling and don't uh, drink with, oh, some of these folks are bad folks, and they'll, you know, they don't mean well for you. And he does anyway. He goes in, he gets himself Well, three sheets to the wind, and uh, three crooks see him from a mile away, and they gather around him in that place, and they get him to play poker with them, and they cheat and lie, and they wind up stealing the River Queen, the boat, from him, and turning it into a, well, a gambling casino, which is a criminal thing to do, and Bud and Lou get a plot, and they lead it to get it back to good Captain Sam. And it's a terrific movie. It has so many laughs. And yet, the one I'm thinking of first, the magic movie moment for me, it has the best version I've ever seen of Who's On First. I think this is the first time it was also filmed and is in a movie. And that that routine... Folks, Who's On First is one of the best things we've ever had in American show business. And the colonel and I were saying before, how do you even write that? How do you even think of it? And uh, how do you think of the premise? Jeff was talking about, well, uh, a professor he had who was teaching in college, in comedy in in college. And uh, she said, you know, that uh, how do we, where do you get the idea? You need, first of all, you need an idea that FBI... She meant funny, basic idea. Folks, Who's On First has a great funny, basic idea and just has to be seen. I won't say anything else about it. Just you have to see it. And there are, uh, after that, they made put in one or two other movies, a smaller version of it. It was so popular. Kate Smith, God bless her, put, put them on her radio show. Well, this is before they became the stars they became. 
and they were so popular. They do who's on first on her show. People went nuts for it. They must have done, it was hundreds of times in a row they performed the same bit on her show. And no one thought, you know, well, why should they be doing that again? Everyone wanted to hear it again. It's a great routine and a great moment in American show business and a great duo. Good Lord, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. And the movie is called The Naughty 90s. And folks, if you haven't seen it, you'll love it. And if you haven't, please do get it. It's worth so much. And you have to see who's on first. And you have to see it in this movie, The Naughty 90s. And uh, there is no higher recommendation I or Colonel Jeff can give it than to say, please see it. Just go see it. Just get it and watch it. And you'll watch it, as we were saying also before, just over a cup of coffee. Here, well, here at the studio that, uh, you know what? It's the kind of thing you could see, and we both agree. You could see it again, again two, ten, a hundred times. Every single time you see them do this, it feels fabulous. And you'll laugh out loud, and you'll just love it every time. And now it's here forever. What is better about show business than that? Well, nothing I can think of. And in fact, I'm hoping to go to Montreal this week for the premiere of a movie I'm in, The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then the Bigfoot. And yes, I'm in it. Which, Well, of course I'm in it. I wouldn't mention it. I'm not going to go to Montreal to see someone else's movie. And this is just wonderful, though. It's written and directed by Bob Kruskowski. And he was great to get to know. This is in Western Massachusetts, where he lives with his family, and he's a young man, and and stars Sam Elliott, who was great to know and great to work with. And I play his brother, and uh, sort of the sexual center of the story. Well, no, it's not. Okay, but it certainly was to me. But uh, in any case, folks, I was uh, going to do that, and I'm waiting to see after we, by the way, after we finish our show today, I'm going to call Bob in, uh, he hasn't left for Montreal yet, but he's going to do that tonight, and I'm going to call him and say hi and ask a couple of questions about this get-together, and why not? Good Lord, how wonderful to do that. I've, I've worked in Montreal before, well, I've been there five or six times. It's a wonderful city. It's beautiful. And, it, oh, they have so much going on there. And, in fact, uh, one of those, uh, they have the, um, oh, I can't remember the name again. Isn't that silly? Just for Laughs. And they have it every year. And it's very, it's a very big thing. They have the places flooded with agents and managers and producers and writers and, of course, comics. There are about a hundred comics who were invited there, and I was one of them. This was oh, this was years. This was before I was married. If you can guess the next topic coming up, and uh, I I loved it there when I was there this time, the first time for uh, just for laughs. Uh, one of the other comics was telling me, "Hey, there's a strip club that right in town, but it's only uh, three or four blocks away to walk from the hotel." 
And uh, it was a strip club called The Parisienne, which I don't know about you, made both me and the colonel just say, oh, The Parisienne. I don't know what it is about French or, or France, but every time you hear it or you see it or do something, you think, oh, well, that's, oh, The Parisienne. That means, oh, it means something, well, beautiful and sexual. And, uh, well, why not? It was a strip club. But I thought uh, this friend of mine uh, at the festival said to me, uh, you know what, have you been to the Parisienne? Because everyone's gone there. And that was true. Every single agent, comedian, and producer, and, and everybody went to the Parisienne because they had heard the same thing. And they were right. It wasn't that it was a fancy place, but it was nice. It wasn't a rundown place. And, uh, well, folks, the girls were gorgeous. And I'm telling you, I walked in there with my uh, friend who was happy to go back again. And we sat down there. And I guess we were about uh, 20 feet from the stage. And, folks, I'm telling you, a young woman walked out. And she was so beautiful. She was so lovely. And had such a great smile. And was naked too by the way which as we said before here that's that's kind of like the uh well that's the cherry on top so to speak i mean it's just you know once if you have that beautiful friendly smart and naked that's a lot and she was all those things and and had a kind of a, a local like a farm girl look to her which is a compliment and was uh, not skinny, was very womanly and voluptuous. And I about flipped. I about did a chimp flip right in my chair there and just went, and I fell for her. And she danced and uh, didn't do anything, I don't know what you might call crazy. I mean, she didn't swing on a pole and uh, lift one leg up there and the other leg over there. She, She didn't have to. She danced around and uh, was there wasn't a man in the place who disagreed with me. Everyone was just agog at how beautiful she was. Well, we saw her show and uh, the one or two dancers who were on before her. And they had plenty more show left, but that was enough for me. And I said to my friend, do you mind if I... And he was okay, too. So we both just headed back out, back to the hotel, and I... I was the same thing. I just couldn't even see straight. I looked around the club for her before we left, but I i don't even know what I would have said or just, gee, hi. But uh, we got back to the hotel. I went back with him the next night to the same club, to the Parisienne, and I saw her dance again. She went up and danced again, and I was the same thing. I was just stricken. I was absolutely shattered by how beautiful she was and how wonderful she seemed. And th- this time, the second night, I i guess I don't know that much about strip clubs or things. Maybe no one ever does or no fella ever does. Or, uh, But I, I went up to her after the show, after she got off stage. I mean, there was still more show on, and she was just... Uh, she was there, and uh, and I just went up and said hello, and I said, Hi, my name's Larry, and uh, 
I'm one of the comedians at the festival here, which I'm sure she only hears a hundred times an hour, but it doesn't matter. That's that's the truth. And I said uh, she didn't speak English. She was uh, she was speaking French, which is another thing, by the way. If you needed more to put on top, come on. That's and she speaks French. Okay, can you put that on the checklist of just yes, just yes. And I, I, I tipped her because I thought you're supposed to. I thought, you know, uh, I think maybe you are. I gave her uh, $20, 20 Canadian dollars. And uh, I just said to her, uh, listen, would you like to come see my show? And uh, I am uh, I wear clothes, so I don't know where, you know. And she she laughed when I said that. And I, and, uh, I said, listen, I'd like to get to know you and I'd like you to... I live in California, and it's in Los Angeles and Hollywood. I was throwing in every word. They were always all true, but... And I said, I'd I'd like you to come out. I'd like to... Well, I'll get you a ticket, a, a plane ticket, and you'll come out, and I'll put you up in a nice hotel. And if you come out, then we could... Uh, well, I said... And I just smiled and said, we could dance. And uh, she smiled again, too, and I... I didn't know how how to ask for her phone numbers. Most everyone, I thought, well, they all must ask for her phone number. So I gave her my number that I'd written down on a, well, a torn piece of something or other, a napkin. And I said, please call, think about it, and come out to Los Angeles so you and I can get to know each other. And she said something in French back to me that sounded... Well, fantastic. I'm, you know, maybe you heard me at that moment, by the way. This is years ago, but maybe you heard, wait, what's that sound? It was someone going, ah. But you know what, folks? What a wonderful thing to have a crush on someone. Well, I I never heard from her, and I, that didn't shock me. I mean, again, good Lord, how many fellas must come up to her? She was so beautiful. And I hope still is, and I'll bet she is. And she was, she was wearing. As I was talking to her, she had put on sort of a a top, a bikini top, and a bikini bottom, which, by the way, didn't hurt. You know, nothing could hurt. She could have put on a, a canvas smock, and you know, it still wouldn't have hurt. But she just looked wonderful, and she had uh, slippers on. In any case. You know what, folks? It's wonderful to have a crush on someone, no matter what happens or doesn't happen out of that. And uh, I did at the Parisienne. And uh, because it's funny, at the, the Just for Laugh, Laughs Festival, there's always, as I said, they have, well, a hundred comics and four or five different theaters where we're all going up. And if it's well, five or six comedians a night at uh, one place and then five or six at another. And over the course of a week, that's how you get get through a hundred fellas. And there were men and women there. And uh, and there's always one, by the way, this, this is not a surprise. You always hear about one performer there. And I did. And everyone did. And uh, he was uh, he was French also. But, well, in a different kind of way. He was known 
and everyone was talking about this. Every agent, every comic, everybody knew this guy uh, was uh, someone who shoots bottle rockets out of his backside. And I don't mean held somewhere. I mean, he drops his pants and puts, if you know what a bottle rocket is, they're, they're not small, they're long, and they have a stick on the the part of the long end, and he put it, well, in himself. He put it in where things only come out. And uh, he would, and I, and I remember thinking, gee, I hope he closes with that. But, you know, he did, he would put the, I didn't see it, but everyone knew he puts it in there. And then, and this with his pants down, of course, and then he bends over and uh, has a friend come out from backstage to light it because he can't, it was too far back for him to hold a match up and light it. So his friend did that, and his friend was upstage, of course, not to block the view. And friend would light it and kind of do four or five quick steps away. You don't want to be around when that goes off. And then it would go off and go with a pop beforehand of the, well, the gunpowder. And, well, as you can imagine, that thing would go, and they go fast, and they go far, and he didn't shoot it around the audience because you could, well, I think as everyone's parents would have said, you could kill someone with that, and you could. But he did that, and that thing would charge off and sometimes go up, up into the rafters there and sometimes just go off to the side. And then he got a great round of applause because what else are you going to do? And by the way, it wasn't, and there was some, you know, but it's really just something you want to applaud for if you're going to do anything. But that was, that was Montreal and that was the Just for Laughs Festival. And I had a great contact, so to speak, with, well, with France. And I sure had a crush on the first part. And I was certainly... Amazed by the second part. But uh, you, you know what, by the way? it You never know. It made me think that I I didn't, I never had much contact with, uh, with the strippers or strip clubs. I, I had some when I was younger. And uh, if you're still going, I think, when you're, once you're a husband and a father, if you're still going to strip clubs, I think, I think maybe you've made an error in something about how to live. But I, I, you know, I remember that uh, there was a there was a strip club in Anchorage, Alaska, and uh, it, they did very well there. They were very successful. It was a it was a kind of place that's open seven nights a week, and it's a strip club seven nights a week in Alaska. There, and they decided at a certain point they also wanted to have a comedy show. That's another one of those things that you might have had the same thought I did, which was. What? But that's fine with me. Comedians and strippers have always gotten along well, and I'm not kidding. And just, uh, and even in uh, backstage there in the dressing area, it's like, well, some movies and TV shows you've seen where, well, the girls are getting dressed and undressed. And it was really, you know what? It was really good because they had, they would bring out for the show, which was two nights a week, Friday and Saturday night, for the comedy show. They would at eight o'clock uh, stop the strippers 
and uh, that that was fine because that's their regular show. And they'd bring out and put it in the center of the stage, a small podium, just three feet by three foot, three feet, just a uh, one step up, wooden. And they'd put that there, and then uh, put a microphone on the podium, and then they'd drop from the ceiling a three foot wide black curtain to go behind the little podium. And you know what? I can tell you, that looked just fine. And now it's a comedy show. And uh, they'd have people, I remember, now it's funny, they, they'd have older couples in their 60s and 70s who wanted to come see the comedy show. And they would be seated, well, at 7.30 for the 8 o'clock comedy show, and they'd watch the last half hour of the strip show. And they were fine with that. They They didn't, you know... It was okay with them. It's just, it's just interesting to note that they're sitting there and the men would be nicely dressed in suits and ties and their wives would be nicely dressed in uh, dresses and, and nice shoes and the, the strippers would be, well, strippers. And then we'd go on and uh, my friend Mike Kane was a great comic. He's passed on now. Terrific comic and a great guy. And uh, Mike was uh, up there working one week. We were there, I guess, five days, six days at a time to work there. And Mike became, uh, well, the boyfriend. He met uh, one of the strippers there who was the Alaskan women's bodybuilding champion named Pillow. And uh, that's, you know, God bless her. I know. That's, that was her name, Pillow. But uh, <laughs> yeah, a great story. They spent, well, the whole time together, and she would be at, uh, at his place there. They had an apartment for the comedians to stay for two or three comics per week. And he mentioned that uh, she and he were in bed together, and they had just finished. They were just chatting, and she wound her legs around his legs a little bit and uh, just said to him, you know, from this position, I could break both your legs. And he said, I wish you would just so I could tell people how it happened. Which I thought was a very funny thing to say. And he said she and he laughed about that. But that shows why he was such a great comic, though. That's kind of the thing to say. And I, by the way, one of the, I was there, let's see, I guess two or three times. And uh, I met and uh, spent a couple of days with one of the other strippers there. And uh, she was not a, a the Alaskan women's bodybuilding champion, but she certainly was to me. And I thought she was very lovely. And uh, she said to me, well, we spent the time together there, you know, in uh, in bed, and we'd get something to eat then. And but it was very nice. And when she said uh, one night on coming up to Saturday night, she was going to head out and go back to her apartment, and well, get uh, showered and cleaned up and dressed for a night's work there. And she said to me, "Oh, by the way, there's something uh, you ought to know." She said, uh, "I'm." Rocky's girlfriend, Rocky was the manager of the club, and he was a big muscular guy, and 
He was also, uh, well, as she said, he was uh, involved with drugs. He would sell drugs there and uh, everywhere. And she said uh, he wouldn't like hearing about you and me. And I said, listen, I, I don't like hearing about you and him. I mean, I just, this is the kind of thing, for the record, I said, this is the kind of thing you can say when we meet, that, oh, by the way, the really, really rough guy who's super tough and isn't a friend to just pop people's heads off like grapes, that's that's my boyfriend. In which case, I would have said, you know what? Very nice to meet you. I'm going to run to the airport and get out of here. But you know what? So she said, don't tell him anything about us. And I said, I believe me, I won't be the one. And then I just got in the shower and shaved and got ready to go, well, to work, to do two shows that night. And, well, I, you know, I just sat there, more or less, in the dressing room. I didn't need to walk around out front and see Rocky there just wandering around, maybe looking for me. I didn't didn't know what I wanted was just to, well, not be confronted by, whew. in any case, so this was something where he could have said to me too, you know, from this position I can break all your legs and all your arms. But in any case, nothing wrong with strip clubs for me. It's just uh, been a long time. It's funny how the names change because, sure, in Montreal, it's which is French, it's a French-speaking city, and in Quebec, which is a French province, and uh, that uh, they have, they, they'll name a strip club the Parisienne, which, as I mentioned before, both Colonel Jeff and I, you almost have to hold your hand out when you say that. Ah, the Parisienne. And uh, I, was, I couldn't remember any names. Colonel Jeff remembered a strip club name in, in Hollywood called Jumbo's Clown Room. And I don't know. That may be the funniest name I've ever heard in my life. I think that's a pretty good name for anything. So it's a strip club. Doesn't sound like a strip club. Doesn't sound like, I don't know what it sounds like, but Jumbo's Clown Room in Hollywood. And he said there's another place called Crazy Girls. Now that tells you something. Crazy Girls. Well, they're, they're insane, apparently. And it's not, they're not the Parisienne. You're not like when they're smoking a cigarette with one of those holders, one of those black holders, and you know having uh, you know two big uh, two big snow leopards on leashes. But uh, so they didn't try names around in Southern California. They don't they don't even attempt European names like the Parisienne or Moulin Rouge or Ooh La La and. Uh, I don't know why, why we do that, but uh, and he and I were wondering suddenly, whatever happened to mud wrestling? And I, I don't know. And uh, we started thinking about it, and the colonel just said, "I don't think anyone's ever gone to mud wrestling twice." And I said, "You're exactly right. Maybe that's what happened to mud wrestling. It's not the kind of thing." Because I went once. This was before I was married. And my friend Rich Jenny, God bless him, who's uh, who's no longer with us, and a great comic, 
And uh, Rich said to me one night over at the, uh, the improv, uh, hey, uh, you ever been to the mud wrestling here? And uh, he said, there's a place over by the freeway, by this, by that. And uh, he said, you want to come? Come on, we'll go to we'll go over there. I hadn't been to that. And, well, it sounded fine to me. I mean, I thought, well, heck, you know, here, you know, we're both single. And, and pff, well, just the name. You know, you see that on a board, a big sign, a big billboard on the top of the place. If it just says whatever the name is, Jumbo's Clown Room, or it doesn't matter what it is. And if there's a big sign next to it that says Mud Wrestling, well, they're going to do some business, right? Well, they did ours, and I just I went with Rich, and we we paid. I don't remember how much it was, but boy, I'll tell you, maybe $10 cover charge and whatever it was for beers or get a drink too. I'm not sure that's the kind of place you want to get an involved drink. You know, I'm not sure they've ever been asked for a Gibson. But in any case, uh, we had that. And then they had mud wrestling. They had uh, a pit with mud. And uh, the girls would come out, sometimes two or three at a time, and uh, or four or five, I guess. And uh, they had their bikinis on. And then they would get in the mud and then they'd take the bikinis off, which I guess is the whole point of the whole thing anyway. But And then, so they're covered in mud. It's about the right consistency for whatever you want there, for mud wrestling, for wrestling in mud. And then they'd get a couple of guys from the audience. Uh, they'd pick a couple of guys who were just thrilled. You know, these guys would get up there and they'd, They'd take their shirts and T-shirts off and take their pants off so and shoes. So it was just them in their underwear. And then they'd get in the mud pit too. And, you know, then the girls would wrestle them and knock them down and, you know, then roll them around in the mud. And so everybody's rolling around in the mud. And, uh, and to be honest with you, that was about it. I mean, I remember sitting there thinking, Oh, okay, this is, so this is mud wrestling. I mean, it didn't excite me. It didn't interest me. I did. I was never thinking, whoa, boy, look at that. I was, what I was thinking was, if they could get out and shower and then come out and just walk around on the stage a little, now you're talking. But this was uh, mud wrestling. I wish the young women well and the fellas they brought up there and, and because, uh, as J- Colonel Jeff and I said, at a certain point, something happened to mud wrestling. And uh, I don't know what it is, and he doesn't know what it is, but I don't think it's around much anymore. And uh, so mud wrestling may be gone, but that beautiful French girl at Le Pri- the Parisienne, I bet she and the other lovely young women like her are going to be out for a long time in that world, and I wish them well. I know that. But you and I, as you know, we know the same things anyway. Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. So remember, folks, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. So you know what? Doesn't matter whether you're wrestling in mud or not. Just be well, and we'll see you here next time.